0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. You probably made it there by now. Hopefully, if not, you can turn your attention to the screen if I'll help you out. You guys are going to, well, thank you. I got it, but you're doing a great job. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. The Bible states this. And remember, Ecclesiastes being written by uh, Solomon. And he is, he is um, experimenting with how life would be without the Lord. Actually, Solomon uh, went through a backslidden state of time in his life. It's everything under the sun. That he was considering life in general, but more importantly, life without the Lord. And he he had seen, he had did some great things, made great grand hand, hanging gardens. And he had employed himself in different means of employment. He had experienced what we would say the full spectrum of life, but did it without God. And so in verse number in chapter 12, he's coming to his conclusion. It's kind of almost like a. A scientific experiment. You've done all the experiments, but now you got to come to your conclusion. And his conclusion is this in verse number 13. He said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He said, This is what I've learned. He said, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He said, I've experienced everything there is to experience. I, I've been rich, I've every every dynamic of life I have, but this is my conclusion. Man needs to fear God. He needs to keep his commandments, for this is his his whole, whole duty. That's quite a quite a conclusion for someone that's experienced the full gamut, if you will, of life without God. Some of you here today have come to that conclusion at different places in your life, maybe that caused your turn to the church that you know what? It's not really all that it's cracked up to be. Verse number 25 of Joshua 6. Verse number 25 of Joshua number 6 states these words. This is after the children of Israel have marched around the walls of Jericho. You guys are doing great. I just might quit this job and give it to you. Um, This is after they marched around the walls of Jericho and defeated Jericho and the walls went down flat. Remember, there's one individual in Jericho that was spared from all of the destruction, a woman by the name of Rahab. This is verse number 25. Jericho has been destroyed. The Bible says, and Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot. Everybody catch that? The harlot. I mean, you know, if you go save anybody in the city, perhaps you could find someone a little bit more notable. For something more positive than harlotry. But they saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day. Because she hid. Note the because, the why. Because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This Month, we are looking that practice makes perfect. And we're considering what we do after we come to God or the activities that we're involved in after we come to God. And so this morning, our lesson in particular today is on this. It's what we do. It's what we do. Right? It's not just what we experienced, but this continues on into it's what we do do everybody say it's what we do it's what we do this Christian life and Christian experience isn't a life of inactivity it is a life of activity it is a life to be lived it's a life to be lived let's go to the Lord in prayer father I love you today I'm thankful again Lord Jesus for the people that have come together on this Sunday morning help us the Lord to learn of your word today God and let that word find a lodging place Lord Jesus in our hearts and lives I know, God, that you're able to help us in the next few moments, Lord Jesus, to bring us to the realization, God, that we are living for the Lord. Lord Jesus, even after our Holy Ghost experience and baptism, God, help us, Lord, to live the way that you would want us to live. God, and we'll make ourselves available to that. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. That's just my custom, saying amen twice. I don't know if I got that from Pastor Sizemore or not. I can't remember if he did that. But nevertheless, it's here with me and probably will be till I die. As I stated, it seems a little peculiar, actually, what we see in Joshua chapter number six. The story in many regards centers around what we they call a harlot. We would call a prostitute. I say that word and people cringe just a little, just in the moment that you state prostitute or prostitution. But it was the last resort Profession, even yet in society as it would seem today. When innocent children, you know, you always can go to your kids as they are young and you ask them what do they want to be when they grow up and you hear a varied things go on and there are some that people lend to, kids lend to that firefighter. I'm going to be a firefighter when I grow up, or I'm going to be a policeman whenever uh, I grow up. Some might say doctor, others uh, might say uh, whatever, race car driver, pilot, so on and so forth, you know, uh, things that they may have seen people operate in out in the real world, they're going to be, but I don't ever recall a child ever saying, and I'm not trying to be funny today, ever saying that I'm going to be a prostitute when I grow up. Never heard that before Uh, for number one. Hopefully they don't even know anything about that quote unquote profession, but it is a, a livelihood so to speak that's not necessarily wished upon anyone. And throughout history, many have been uh, driven to its ranks in modern day. uh, There are some developed countries that due to uh, being subjected to substance abuse or addiction to substances, oft times have driven uh, people to the uh, lifestyle of being a prostitute. Uh, Not only that, addicts who have surrendered to harlotry or prostitution, being so overwhelmed by uh, their drugs and their bodies uh, addicted to that, they then just make their body another commodity uh, in their life, given over to prostitution because they see that that's the only means of income Uh, For them to handle their addiction problem. Addiction of drugs that they are engaged in. Many times in third world countries where uh, they don't have the perks that we do here in the United States. Poverty is rampant in those type of lands. And you'll also find many times among the impoverished which are high numbers prostitution as well. Poverty almost serves as a recruiter for prostitution in those third world countries. And so these souls they accept not only to uh, trade then drugs, but trade their bodies as well. They've searched out many other venues, but they've become dead ends. Many of them have no spousal support. They have no extended family to rely upon or none that would care to invest anything in them. They have no social net, no education, no career skills per se to invest their life in. And so with no other opportunity as it would seem to them, they have the choice that, you know, am I going to allow if they have kids, am I going to allow my kids to starve or do I sell my body uh, for, for sex just to be blunt? And so seeing there's no other options, they become harlots. And, and we know, according to Scripture, that, that that's demeaning God's, God's purpose for us upon this earth and the way in which the context of sexual intimacy should happen. It should not be for business transactions, so to speak. But prostitution was this, this profession that regardless of geography or era or economics, that it was a pitiful, if you will, profession that one would find themselves in. But whenever we state all that, that was, quote unquote, and I know people might not want to call it a profession, but in their eyes, that's exactly what it is. That that is the profession that Rahab, the harlot, had found herself in. She's living in Jericho. She's living in a very wealthy city. It is a very lush, even geographical place. It is known to be the city of palm tray, trees. Its name alone means fragrance so it has a, a nice fragrance in the city. And there was a major river that ran by Jericho that contributed to a lot of its commerce and so they had a lot of uh, resources that would come through the river with things being able to be shipped there or exported from there and whenever their fathers then were planning the city they decided then to put this huge wall around about the city which history tells us it was such a thick wall. I know we might think just of a brick wall like on a building, but it was such a thick wall. I've read sometimes that they could have abreast sometimes six chariots and riders abreast. So this is a thick wall that they had. And so they, they, they invested in the protection of their city. And since the wall was so thick, some people had their homes up on the wall, even nestled inside of the wall. And such was the case of Rahab. She had her home there in the wall. It, it provided enough room for her family, extended family of even her mom and her dad that we read of in scripture. But not only that, it allowed her enough privacy to do her business. So, to speak, so her clientele wouldn't feel as though it was out in the known, you know, where they were going or what they were doing because Rahab was a prostitute. And so, everything though changes in the life and the business of Rahab whenever she is visited one day by two Israelite spies that knocked upon her door everything changes if you go and you can just go for a moment to joshua chapter number two and you can look with me and you can click that slide i'll get mine out i'm sorry amen if you go to joshua chapter number two this morning and the story there, uh, you can read of some of the things that took place, and that we we glean from the passages of Scripture. And what we glean from is this: we understand that Moses, who had been the leader of the children of Israel, he is already dead. We understand that Joshua has moved into his room now and serving as the new leader of the nation of Israel. We understand that this effort of going into Jericho is is their first uh, effort. In a renewed, a renewed pursuit of the promised land, they had already tried this whole thing forty years earlier. But this is the first time that they have tried again to go into the promised land. We remember that under the uh, prior to this, that Moses took twelve spies into the land to spy it out. Now we see that Joshua is just sending two spies into the land. And as far as it's reported, the Bible says that Rahab reports to the two spies that 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 these people here, I know that the Lord has given you the Israelites. She says, I know the Lord has given you all the land. Not only that, but our hearts are faint. Our hearts are fearful, even of you coming and approaching. And so that's what they she told to the two spies. And that according to Joshua two, that's probably the only intel or the only information that they even received concerning the lamb there was from Rahab. But she tells them this, and because, and this is notable today, because of her faith, a harlot, a prostitute, because of her faith, believing that the Lord had given them the land, and that the Lord was capable, and this is interesting, that the Lord was capable to do what he said he was going to do, even all the way back 40 years ago. That if you go into land, you're going to take the land, it's yours. A non-Israelite, a non-Israelite believed what the Israelites even didn't believe. Yes, sir. That's right. Amen. She believed, she had faith enough to believe in so much so that the Bible says that she hides the spies Whenever the governing power that be sent men out to, because they heard that these men had come into Jericho, they sent men out, a, a, a posse if you will, to find these two. And she hid these men in her home, upon her roof, under some flax, in order to secure their freedom to go back to their company, back across, uh, back over, across into the land where the Israelites were. She, she, knowing, having faith that God was going to do what God was going to do, she hid them, protected them, so that they could get back out. She. She let them down, which is probably a notable part of her story. She let them down a scarlet cord from her window, from her home in the wall and told them what they needed to do to be successful, to get away and and be secured and get back home. And so what all of this tells me this morning is this. As the story continues in the book of Joshua, the children of Israel then finally, they finally crossed the Jordan River. The Bible says that the Jordan at this time, it banks were overflowing. It, it was high water time at the Jordan River. And so the banks were overflowing, yet they crossed over. And that's a great uh, subject matter and sermon all of itself, that God would do a miracle of parting the Jordan River, not just when it's just the Jordan River, but when it's overflowing its banks. Boy, that is just like God. He's, you know, it's just like if, if it isn't just impossible enough as is, he says, let's make it more impossible and let me still do it anyway. I've seen him do that so many times in our own lives. But whenever we follow that miracle of crossing the Jordan River, then Joshua, he, he reinstitutes circumcision. Hadn't been done for 40 years. Hadn't been done for 40 years. Everybody's circumcised from the young to the old men. Ah. <laughs> Number one, I'm glad we don't practice literal circumcision today in your 40s. <laughs> Amen. But he took care of everybody uh, concerning that. And then they celebrated Passover. Again, they hadn't done been done for 40 years. And then they started, the Bible says, they started eating the food in the land of Canaan. They ate of the corn of the promised land. And the moment that they ate of the corn of the promised land, the manna that they had ate all throughout the 40 years, it stopped. Now we'll look this a little bit later, but we're we're kind of getting there. Remember, we're looking at this morning that that this is this is what we do. This is what we do. They had for forty years depended upon depended upon the hand of God to feed them with bread that they didn't have to break no sweat to get, didn't have to put no seed in the ground. It was provision of heaven. They, they were being fed. But the moment that they ate of Canaan, that was food. That was the product of somebody doing some work. Now, the corn of, of, of the promised land because somebody invested in the ground, tilled the ground, made sure that they plucked and harvested that. And the moment they got that, they didn't get that from heaven anymore because it was going to be the product of the work of a man. Look at the scripture here of Joshua 6 in verse number 17. and This is the King James Version. I know sometimes I show you otherwise, but this is the King James. And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all that are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that went in. She's the only individual. We must let this rest with us today. Jericho, I didn't look it up, but I'm sure they had a good amount of a population. But out of all that population, Rahab is the only one that was safeguarded her and those that she had got in her house because she hid the messengers. Amen. After they crossed the Jordan River, all this happened. And the next thing, this is a Bible story that many of you know uh, from your childhood. I hope you don't mind me going through it today. That then the walls of Jericho fell flat after they had circled around those for seven days and seven times on the seventh day. And seemingly silence for all of those days except the last lap around. They blew their trumpets and they shouted and the walls fell down flat again. When we understand maybe I'm kind of going a little here and there. Understand that this is God taking a miracle to another degree when you understand that wall was, its span or depth was enough that six chariots could be side by side on it. We're not talking about your fence in your backyard. And yet it fell down flat. And so when it fell down flat, the two spies, what do they do? They returned to Rahab because before they left, they said, Rahab, if you'll just have this scarlet cord in the window, we will know, we will remember where you are and we'll come and we'll spare you and all that you have gathered together into your house of your family. Look at it in verse number 25 of Joshua 6. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot again alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelled in Israel even unto this day. Because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, this seems, I mean, this blows my mind. They are saving alive out of all these people a woman, and I'm not throwing off or casting off on women, all right? But in that day, that was a major thing. The man was, I mean, women, please, even in New Testament scripture, women were as property. And I, I, don't, I don't say that despairingly, but women were as property. They did not have any rights as a human being. They were as property to be traded. And so number one, for them to save a woman out of all this. Number two, that it would be a woman with an occupation of harlotry out of all this. Just blows my mind. And so we got to start to ask ourselves when we see things like that, know the culture, women were just like property. And here's a harlot at that. Why in the world would they want to include then that lady out of all Jericho and her to be a prominent figure in this story? Why is scripture doing this? And I think in order to understand that, we got to look backward just a little bit today. We got to look backward on what's happened up to this moment of time because if we give a bird's eye view and I'll go on, if we give a bird's eye view of scripture, we find the different events of Israel's history. In the book of Leviticus, we see that there is the the description and the construction of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. We read about offerings and all of them being detailed and how they should be offered. The setting up of the priesthood is being put in place and implemented. The commandments, the ten commandments have been given in the book of Exodus and the moral commandments, the ceremonial laws have even been given. All the feasts have been instituted and how to practice them and how to approach them and what time of year it should take place. And we have all of this stuff. As a matter of fact, we read in Numbers 10, 11, that on the 20th day of the second month in the second year, Israel started moving once again because they had found a spot that they had camped out at and they'd been there for about a year, but now they had started to move one again. And whenever they started to move... <laughs> Israel did what Israel knew to do best. She started to complain. (laughs) When Israel started moving again, she started to complain. And Aaron and Miriam rebelled against Moses thinking that he shouldn't be the one in authority. And and the Lord came down and set that matter right. And then Moses sent those 12 spies into the land of Canaan and they investigated it for 40 days. And whenever they came back, no doubt it should have been. God said, I'm going to give you the land, but he sends the spies anyway. They come back in what should have been a time of celebration. Let's go and take the land. Really had been just 40 days, if you will, of fear. And the Bible says there's 10 spies that said, Moses, the land's good indeed. The fruit is great. They couldn't say anything against that. But there's giants in the land. We don't think we can take it. But God already said they could take it. They said, but we don't think we can take it. Well, there's two over here. Joshua and Caleb saying, Moses, what they say is right. The land is great. There are giants in the land, but let's go up at once. Let's go up at once and take the land. And the Bible says because of the voices of the ten, the people, the nation became discouraged. Because of the voices of the ten, and they believed the human report, more they they did than God's promise. And what did they do? Nothing. They didn't. They decided not to go in and take the land. We read of the response in Numbers chapter 14, verses 11 through 12 here today. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shewed among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mighter than that. You know what God is saying? He says, we have come through the wilderness. We, we have come from the, through the wilderness. I've given them water to drink and such, and I've helped them with food along the way, and I've done all these signs. I've even delivered them from Egypt. That should be a pretty big one. Do they not think that by the same power I delivered them from Egypt, I can position them in the land of promise? He said he's a little upset. God's a little upset. As a matter of fact, he wants to just kind of take out the whole nation of Israel. This is what he's telling Moses. I'd just rather take out the whole nation of Israel, and I'll start with you, Moses, and I'll raise another nation. You know how he did with Abraham? He took Abraham in the beginning, basically raised the nation, the nation of Israel, through his descendants. He's saying, let's just do away with that. Let's clean the slate, and we'll make you the new Abraham, Moses. Whew. I'm glad God is lenient toward us today. It's hard to tell how many times he'd have to make a new nation. I'm glad I'm living and breathing on this side of the soil today. Hallelujah. So he tells him that. Now look, immediately Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Because he's telling he's telling God, God, your, your your reputation is online. Let's look at it. Verses number 20 and 21. This is what the Lord the Lord said. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, because Moses has stepped in, said, God, if you're going to block them, out, you're going to have to block me out. He says, I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt, in the wilderness, have tempted me now these ten times and have not, I'm not there, Have not hearkened unto my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. God said, that's great. I'm going to listen to you, Moses, but we're going to go forward. He said, because my intention is that the glory of the Lord is to fill the land. You remember whenever Moses went up on the Mount for 40 days and he came down and the Bible, even the New Testament says he had to veil his face because it shone or it shined. And the people could not even bear to look upon him because it shined. And the Bible even talks of a time that it would begin to fade. The only reason why Moses' face shined is because he had been 40 days in the presence of the Lord. And the only reason why it fades, the only way, the reason why Moses' face would fade is if he, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If he refrained from getting in the presence of the Lord, they, what they seen from Moses' face was the glory. The Lord, but the glory of the Lord was seen because Moses had found his place in the presence of the glory. God says, I want the whole world, he said, to see my glory, but they're not going to see his glory unless we go to where his glory is periodically and come from there. We might have fading glory, but we got to refresh his glory upon our life by getting in his glory. Amen. Get into that place where his glory is. And so he says, I'm going to do this. He said, but all these men that's given the heartache, the complaint and all this stuff, he says, that's tempted me now all these times that have not hearkened unto my voice. He said, they and their fathers, and all them, they will not enter into the land. They might see it from abroad, but they will never enter it. Now look at it. Joshua 5 and verse number six. I got a scripture today in case anybody's wondering. The Bible says, this is what the word of the Lord says. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because here's the why. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not shew them the land, which the Lord swear unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. So this is what it came down to. They're 40 years in the wilderness wandering. They came out of Egypt. They're consumed in the wilderness because why? They obeyed not the voice of the Lord. What is it? They did not do anything. That's what it comes down to. They did not do anything. So they wander in the wilderness. Here's what we know. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, number one, because they did not believe God's first promise that he could have the land. And since they did not believe God's promise, they did not obey God. I want to point out today that those two things go hand in hand. Listen to this statement. If there's anything you receive today, listen to this. As I said this week, feel like God impressed this on my heart. You will not obey something you do not believe. You will not obey something you do not believe. Amen. And so here they are in the wilderness for 40 years because they did not believe the promise of God. They did not obey the promise of God. And as a result of not doing anything, they are in the wilderness for 40 years. Why 40 years? Here's the scripture even tells us they are in there for 40 years, one year for every day. They spied out the land because they spied out the land for 40 days. The 12 spies, they spied out the land for 40 days. For one year, for every day, they spied out the land. They are in the wilderness for 40 years. And they, that generation that believed not, that believed not and thus did not, are consumed by the wilderness. Amen. How do we know? Brother McGee, how do you know they didn't believe? They didn't attempt to take the land. They didn't attempt to take the land. Brother McGee, how, how do we know they didn't have faith? They didn't have any action. We'll we'll go to the scripture later in the book of James. Faith without works is dead. So dead faith is just the same as no faith. Dead faith is non-existent faith. Faith without works is dead. And so I know they have no faith because they didn't have no action. They didn't have no action. And so when we understand this, the Lord issues then a judgment. Amen. Israel tries after the Lord states this judgment, you know what they th- they, they kind of do like we do, even like our kids do, you know, start backpedaling. It happens. You know what they said? After the Lord said all this stuff, they went to attempt to try to go in to the land. It's like, oh, well, if that's what's going to happen, yeah, we'll go. You know, why is it? And this is rhetorical. Why is it? That we are ready to take action when we realize there's going to be consequences to our inaction. But we're not willing to have faith to take it before we understand there are consequences. But That's what they're doing. Oh, there's consequences. Okay, then I'm going to try to take the lamb. But the Bible says they failed miserably. Why? Because the Lord was not for them in that regard. He wasn't going to walk with them when they wanted to do something because they felt the heat of what was going to come as a result of it. He wanted them to act by faith. He wanted them just to believe Him for being Him. He didn't want them to have to have a thumb of pressure on them in order to respond. He just wanted the fact of Him being God alone enough for them to respond. Amen. Just God alone. We, 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 I mean, we, we have, I know the outcome sometimes you, you lay down the thumb of pressure and the consequences and people react and we're grateful for that, but we would be a whole lot more grateful if the the, the consequence and the threat, so to speak, never had to come and people just did. That's what God was looking at here. And so they experience 40 years of wilderness wandering, for that matter, dying. Folks, just think for a moment. When they left Egypt, I believe the Bible says that there were 600,000 men, men. So you start counting in women and children. And most people you read, it could very easily been beyond a million people that Moses was leading. And whenever you think of that, those that were below the age perhaps of war men like 20 years and below. Whenever you think of that, can you realize the number of funerals that were held? in 40 years all because somebody chose not to do chose not to do they didn't die off though quietly this just blows my mind they didn't die off quietly because they would wander for those 40 years in the wilderness and guess what continue to complain continue to murmur continue to grow even more rebellious, which again, I'm not doing. Huh? I'm not doing more rebellious. They did have a few little highlights, basing miracles, miracle of provision, miracle of water. They even conquered Og and Sihon, the kings of those two places. They 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 were victorious in that. Amen. And we even ask, you know, ask yourself a question. How in the world can these people that God is so upset with that he's not going to allow over into the promised land, he's making them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, they're complaining, they're grumbling, he's going to give them two victories, going to give them two victories, and we start to ask ourselves the question, did God give them two victories for those who kept on being faithless, or was he trying to inspire the future generation that was innocent so that they would be faithful? Or... As I was pondering this morning concerning all of this, I wonder if God gave them those two victories to kind of, and I know God isn't this type of attitude. This is my humanity showing forth. Just to kind of in your face. See, I could have given you victory even there. Now that's that's my humanity pastor showing out. See, I could have done it. Just to say, see boys, I could have done it if you just trusted me to do it. I could have even done it right there. And so as the years would go forward, more laws are given, more offerings are created. Look at this. The Levitical, the the numbers, the Exodus form of worship with a tabernacle continues, continues in that 40 years of wandering. They're walking out of step with God They didn't believe God for the promise. But they're continuing in their worship system. And I choose the word system purposefully. They continue in their worship system, bring their sacrifices, bring their offerings, go on the tabernacle and do their thing. Joshua's was chosen as the next leader and they're doing their thing. They're worshiping. And I've heard people preach on this, but let's consider for the moment. They're worshiping while in the wilderness. You know, I've heard it preached by God. You worship while you're in the wilderness. Worship no matter what your surroundings are. Worship though you're going through all the hell here on earth. And We're talking about a people that were determined to worship. I've heard it preached. But here's some of the positive and the negative associated with that. We can get caught up in mindless worship. We cannot... Believe in God, have faith in God, be doing anything for God and still have a system of worship. And it's just taking place mindlessly because that's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, whenever I look at that, I don't see it so much as worshiping in the wilderness as though it's people that were going through the calisthenics and the ritual and the formalism of doing everything that they ever had done, but didn't have no faith in God, no obedience to God, no. Yeah. I mean, God even set up his whole worship system for the purpose. That people wouldn't enter into mindless worship. You've heard me perhaps teach this before, but the reason why he said if you're gonna bring a trespass offering, then it's gotta be such and such animal, and you've got to bring, you gotta know, bring so much oil and so much flour. They had all these specifications, it's almost like you had to have a cheese seat, you know, in your goatskin garment. <laughs> You know, oh, sin offering. So this is required. That is required. Why? Because he wanted people not to enter into the tabernacle mind, mindlessly worshiping. They knew if I'm taking a sin offering. okay, let me think here. You got it. Let me think here. Oh, I got to have that sacrifice, that type of oil in order to go in their worship. So that they weren't just going in there with whatever, doing whatever. They were thinking about what they were doing when they were going in. Honey, it does not change today. It's an important that when we walk through those double back doors, we're just not mindlessly coming in here and throwing up a hand or spilling some words out our mouth. But I got to think, what I'm, do I have a trespass offering I'm bringing today? Is it a peace offering? What, what do I need to give to God? What, what does he re- What am I doing? What am I doing? Because you don't want to be you don't want to be living in opposition and diametric to God and going through the calisthenics of just a worship into God. Hallelujah, Lord, we worship you. I told you to go on the land and take it. I don't believe you, God. Hallelujah, I worship you. Hear my voice, keep my commandments. I worship. And that's fine. We worship God for who he is. But if he is what we are claiming by our worship, then our life will follow through with that same belief in our obedience. So Israel did not enter into the Canaan, the promised land the first time because they were faithless. Which again was evidenced in their lack of action. They did not obey God's direction. They wondered, they complained, they rebelled. And that generation died. They lived on the same diet they'd always. (laughs) They lived on the same diet they'd always lived on from the day that they left Egypt. That's in a literal sense. Let's think spiritually here. They died. Kept the same diet they always kept from the day they left Egypt. God, I don't know about you, but in my spiritual walk, he's constantly trying to massage my diet. He's introducing some new things. <laughs> That's for my good. That, that uh, <laughs> Someone say, man, it, it's for my good. And so that worship continued that whole time they went to the tabernacle. All these things, laws, offerings, feasts, priesthood, it was all Mindless activity. Mindless activity. Then we come to our character. Why Rahab? A nation which was the Lord's treasure box was Israel, but why Rahab? She's a non Israelite. Joshua one, if you read chapter one, the Lord reiterates to Joshua. The original promise that he had at first spoke unto Moses. And after that promise for Joshua's generation was validated and made anew and afresh, it's there that we find this story of the two spies in Rahab. And again, it's important that she was a non-Israelite prostitute. Because here, between 40 years of the faithless Israel, their transition is going into a victorious Israel. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse number 31. This is the King James Bible by faith. This is the hall of faith. This is the chapter of faith in Hebrews 11 by faith. She's in here, folks. Right along Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. Yeah. By faith, the harlot. Important. Think that it's putting these descriptions here. The harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. Now, I think there is an underlying connotation here. It's not that she just didn't perish with those that believed not in Jericho, but that she perished not with those that believed not that were of Israel in the wilderness. Because she had faith. Because when she had received the spies with peace, what it's referring to again is that she believed God had the lamb. They were fearful, so she hid. She did something. She hid the spies because of her faith, because she believed. That a rotten, what would some would say a rotten, no good harlot, prostitute of that type of lifestyle that's a non-Israelite that has no association by blood, has no association with, with altar worship or sacrifice, could by faith and belief in God somehow respond by obedience. Let me tell you something, folks. That is the story of all of our lives. None of us in this place were born a Jew. We were born a non-Israelite. We were born a non-Jew. But your entry into the kingdom of God, what sets you apart from anybody else is because by faith you believed and responded with obedience by baptism in Jesus' name, repenting of your sins, being filled with the... And now you are walking In the spirit. Hallelujah. James 2.24. Look at it. This is the verse I referred to earlier. Yet see then how that by works. A man is justified. Not by faith alone. Everybody hear that? Matter of fact, I have a lot of problems with a lot of. Denominational societies always quote, it's scripture alone, faith alone, all this stuff. That's a bunch of baloney. That's non-biblical. Right. Yeah. Right. It says right here, not by faith alone. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So we're looking at here what we're seeing, and James describes it very well in the book of James. We're not looking at a works-only type of uh, a paradigm or a faith-only paradigm. We're looking at a faith-works paradigm. Exactly. Yes. Amen. We're looking at a faith-works paradigm here. And so whenever Israel was faith, their, their faithlessness That revealed just their inaction. That that, that revealed them not doing anything. That revealed their disobedience. But Rahab, because of her faith, it was revealed in what she did. Her action of hiding the spies. And so it's included at this juncture in Joshua because it wanted to illustrate faith. Let me tell you, faith that hour and in this hour is more than just a mental knowledge of the Lord. It's more than just a verbal confession of his coming victory. Uh-huh. No, it required something. She acted on her faith. And so if Israel was going to be successful in their second attempt into the land of promise, God is marking something strong right here. It's going to be only come through obedience and obedience only happens because you believe and that is all attached to faith. Because faith includes action. Going on without action and without obedience to the Lord's directions. We do not enter. We do not enter into his promised land. In many regards, we end up like those that are wondering. Experiencing glimpses of his power. Even the miraculous. Going through our form of worship. But do not Enter into the promised land. Someone say amen. Following Jesus, following the Lord, a life of Christianity is a life it's a life of action. The disciples in the New Testament they were called to a life of action, being obedient and following, literally following the Lord acting upon the spiritual direction and dictates that he gives us in our life. Notice, let's go to James again, James 2, and we'll illustrate this fact concerning activity. And you can look at this literally, but then you can just apply the whole concept of just activity in our lives here, in, in the Lord, being disciples of the Lord. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? I believe the implication can faith alone save him? All right. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, or and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being yea a man say thou hast faith and I have works shew me thy faith without thy works and I will shew thee my faith by my works thou believest that there is one God thou dost well the devils also believe and tremble but wilt thou know O vain man that faith without works is dead Verse 24, ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You know what it's said It's not she was justified by her works alone, but works are tied to faith. That's where it's at. That works. Yeah, she hid them. It wasn't. Someone said, well, she, because we'd read in Scripture, the reason why this happened is because, because she hid the messengers. She was saved because she hid the messengers. Yes, but what we know, according to God's word, works are always tied to faith, and vice versa. It's always tied to faith. Her obedience was tied to belief that God would do, could do what he said he would do and shall. So when we talk about that for our own personal lives. Discipleship. That learning experience after we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that maturing in the Lord, maturing in the church, we're maturing in the word. That takes place in our lives by acting Everybody say acting on the spiritual disciplines that the word of God reveals to us in scripture. So what we must ask ourselves, and this is I know we've been talking about this a lot here, this must we ask ourselves. Am I praying? okay? Or do I just know about prayer? Do I periodically fast or do I just have knowledge about that? Because when we talk about this stuff, people may know about it, but then again, the disconnect is applied knowledge. No, you know, reading, study my yeah, I've heard you say that. A thousand bishops always say you need to read your Bible, you need to do the Yeah, you need it. I know about that. Okay, that's one question. Do you do that? Do you do that? Because remember, we're engaged with being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This path that we're on, this this practice makes perfect, or even progress for that matter, is what I. Do What I do. So let's ask ourselves some questions here this morning. What is it for you personally? If you just think about yourself, what is it personally that hinders you from praying? What hinders you personally from periodically fasting or picking up the word of the Lord and reading a few verses or a chapter? What What hinders you? I want you to think about yourself, What, what hinders me from taking those disciplines that I'm aware of, that I know about and putting them into practice. I'll tell you personally, whenever I see it fall away from my own life, number one, what hinders me sometimes is simply this making it a priority. Making it a priority. That probably fits maybe perhaps many here. There could be other things, but making it a priority. You come into the end of your day to slip in bed. You're like, man, I didn't pray today. I didn't get my Bible read today. And then if we're not careful, then we start making the excuses of why it didn't happen. And anything that we come up with as an excuse goes to show that then we didn't prioritize then those things. At any greater degree than what we say, their excuse for them not happening. So so it, it, it making them a priority, I believe, is a big is a big uh, reason or what we would maybe term as a hindrance to not getting them done. Or as I already said, some of it just simply comes down to follow through. You know, and we will say we didn't have the time again, you, you come up probably with any excuse out there. And I'll say this. Well, that goes back to priority. That goes back to priority. You know, there's some days that I write down on my particular day in my calendar the next day. Sometimes the night before I start writing down everything that I need to do. Everything I need to do the next day. And many times the way that I'm geared, I put in there the way what needs to be done first that I believe it deemed takes priority of some of the other things. Like if some of the other things at the bottom left don't get done that day, okay, I'll move them to the next day. But so I kind of prioritize. And you can look even at my calendar. There are some days that you can look at that I know it's going to be so crazy that at the top, Pray, read your Bible in my list. Why? Because if you don't plan it, this is just nuts and bolts. I, I can't get just any more just common right now. If you don't plan it, it won't happen. You don't plan it, you won't happen. If, I mean, it just as sometimes as sincerely as. If you got a doctor's appointment at 115 and somebody says something about something else going on at 115 and you're like, I can't do that. I already have an appointment. (laughs) Your Bible, your prayer is just as important as you see in the doctor because you see in the great physician in that moment. (laughs) That's the reason why I turn off my phone a lot of times, Put do not disturb on Why? Uh, If you have an emergency, as I said before, I might be praying to Jesus right now. While I'm praying to him, God may be touching your emergency. I'm just just saying. And so you've got to make it important. And so, again, what what are then some ways, Brother McGee, to overcome some, some of this hindrance? Do it first. Do it first. You don't have to. I'm not saying you have to. Bible speaks many times. The Lord got God up a while well, before it was day and he prayed, but then they prayed in the morning, midday, and at noon. There's prayers taking place at night, so I'm not going to tell you. If you're not doing it in the morning, you're a sinner. Bless God, you're going straight to a devil's hell. No, I'm not saying all that, but what I'm saying is this. If you're finding yourself where the day goes by and you're not getting it done, then maybe you need to try it first. Maybe you need to try it first because some of those things need to be non-negotiable. So I'm coming to a close. Brother Mason, if you can, Help me out here to music. Coming to a close. This is crazy to me. Amazing. We read read of Rahab the harlot. She has this. Loose lifestyle in Jericho, but she has faith and she's obedient to God. She's one only one out of all of them that are delivered from that Jericho destruction. We find later in scripture that evidently she finds a man by the name of Salmon. S-A-L-M-O-N. would say Salmon. She finds a man Salmon. She has had several men in her life. She has had several men in relationships and sexual relationships in her life. But she finds a man Salmon enough that she gives her life to him as a married partner. This is post-deliverance from Jericho, post-faith. She has a boy, a child with Salmon by the name of Boaz. Uh, who, as he's a toddler walking with his toothless grin, as every other child shaking, trying to make it to place and place. But when Boaz grows up, he's going to be sleeping on a threshing floor one night and going to come in another foreigner by the name of Ruth. Who he's going to spread his garment over her when nobody else in her family will claim her and take her he says I'll take you and from Ruth is going to be born a child as well and that child as you begin to trace its genealogy you'll trace it all the way to New Testament scripture in Matthew and he's included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because a woman had faith and belief and that by virtue of it obeyed we have as Paul Harvey would say the rest of the story if you can stand with me this morning her faith and obedience that day was forever a life changing choice found a man that she could be with for life brother Fred rather than one Night by night had a child tied to the legacy of the Lord Jesus Christ by the choice, of operating in obedience, driven by her faith. So whenever we talk about we've been called to righteousness by our walk and relationship with the Lord, then we got to take action in our walk with God. It's what we do. It's what we do. And I believe even this may set up the tee for the ball a little bit tonight, Brother Mason. When we get into this Connect series over the next three months, one, one, a a Sunday p.m. service in the next three months. That you need to ask yourself, even sitting in the church here this morning. I've come to God. I've got the Holy Ghost, all this. Ask yourself, what do you do? What do you do in the context of the church? What do you do? You show up for church. Okay, that's great. But what do you do? What do you contribute? Well, I pay my tithes. Okay, but what do you do? That might set us up a little bit here for this evening, for connecting. It's what we do. Faith and obedience paired with that. And there's so many different branches and roots from that tree that could go in various levels. But please, if we just bow our heads this morning. We bow our heads this morning. If God has... Listen to me here specifically today. If God has ever in the history of your life serving him. Has prompted things in your spirit. That you know. Talk to you individually, whoever you may be. I'll just use myself as an example. You know, Paul, I, I'd really like to. I'm, I'm going to use you and I'd really like to use you in the capacity of whatever. Teaching a Sunday school class someday. That's what I really have for you, Paul McGee. Then please don't assume the position. Of disbelief in what God has planned for you. And not do anything to head in the direction of that intended destiny, because I am convinced tonight or this morning rather that there are people here. God may have laid impressions Call them even maybe desires on your heart. Something that you'd really like to do in the church or about the church or function in some capacity. Maybe you're not there yet. But don't just wander in the wilderness either. Don't just, as a result of not obeying, indicate faithlessness and be in an eternal cycle and circle of going around no be obedient have faith in God that if he puts such a desire in your heart if he puts such a desire in your heart that he's able to help you and equip you to obtain to obtain that desire these altars are open this morning it's what it's what we do it's what we do these altars are open today God I want Jesus to be obedient because I have belief and faith Lord And exactly what you said you would do, you would do, even in my life, in the life of the church. God, and I'm going to exercise my faith, God, by my obedience. I'm going to exercise my faith by my activity and my action. I'm going to exercise that today. Hallelujah. Let's talk to the Lord right now. God, I need you, Jesus. God, as a church, Lord, as individuals today. God, it's what we do. It's what we do. Lord, I pray, God, today, let not people, Lord, get caught, Lord Jesus, and just... The formalism and the ritual, the mechanics of everything. Help us, God, to have mindful worship. Help us, God, to have mindful activity. Help us, O Lord, to embrace the very things, God, though they may seem where we are presently positioned in a place hard to reach, God, that if you said that we will reach it, God, then you'll help enable us, God, and by our own, Lord, walking in our own, Lord, application, God, that we will Lord, reach that which you have desired for us and that you're placed in our heart as a desire, oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I'm going to show my faith by my works today. I'm going to show my faith by my works, God, by what I do. I pray, oh Lord, your word says, God, that we are your workmanship, or we are your masterpiece, that we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. myself to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.